0: It's gonna feel real good, all right? Most dope. Everybody, please put a thumb in the air. Hey.
1: Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Max. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. It is great to be back. We have some actual news, so let's get into it. We might have to like go over an hour or something here. Uh, let's yeah. lead it off with my replacement from last week, Stephlicious D, Steph Driver. How you doing today, Steph?
2: Thank you for coming back. <laughs> I appreciate you. Always.
1: Yeah, I was real happy. It turns out it wasn't my laptop that was fucked up. It was just my charger. Chargers, far less expensive than laptops. (laughs) Very happy.
2: I think that both the cast and the listeners are incredibly happy to hear you back because uh, I did not do a good job last week.
1: I just listened to it it now and enjoyed it thoroughly.
2: Okay, good.
0: From Athletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. Well, hockey's back, sort of, so I'm back to work, which is good in some ways and not great in others. Um, but one cool thing is that, like, while other teams in the NHL have been dealing with, you know, unexplained, unfit-to-play absences and drama with r- related to COVID and everything, the Flyers have had everyone on the ice all three days. No drama at all. Everything's good here in Voorhees so far, so great news here. The I wanted to ask this earlier, but
1: you just brought it up now. The the Corey Crawford unfit to play designation is that just like a COVID cover up? Because it's it like that sounds to me like he's been on a bender, and now they got to get him dried out before we can get on the other. Well, un- the hat. thing
0: with Crawford that makes that very weird is that like yeah, it could it could be coronavirus possibly. But there's also the fact that he's been dealing with concussion issues for the past, like, three years. So it's a viable concern that they might have popped back up, but no one can talk about it because no one's allowed to actually report their injuries during this entire return to play thing. Because, which I understand, the NHLPA basically made sure that they negotiated in that, like, players don't have to reveal that they have covid unless the players want to reveal they have COVID. So that was negotiated, and that's something that was collectively bargained between the two, which I get, but then it results in weird situations like the Corey Crawford thing where it's like, is he sick? Is he hurt? Are the concussions back? What is going on here? And no one can say anything because no one's allowed to.
3: I choose to believe that unless I see a player get hurt on the ice, he's got COVID.
1: That's how I'm rolling. I we'll we'll talk. I I love that you can't report the uh, the injuries simply because people go nuts about like the lower body and upper body thing, and I don't care. I care about the player. I want him back, but until then, I don't care what's actually hurt. I just want to know when he's going to be back. So this will drive even people. This will drive people even crazier, and I'm for that. Last but certainly not least, Kelly Hinkle.
3: So I know that like I'm supposed to be. Like, mildly conflicted or concerned about the return to play. Uh, but I'm not. I'm just, like, so excited at this point. I'm so excited. Like, as soon as they announced that game against the Penguins in, like, a week and a half, like, I'm fucking ready for hockey to come back. I'm so excited.
2: I was very confused about... <laughs> How you got a week and then a week and a half last night when it I was exactly 14 days. Listen, who can <laughs> who can count? Not me. Math
3: I, just, is I want it to circle. be sooner, so I'm just advancing it in my Listen, mind. I'm Michael, here, today, I'm today doesn't here count, for it. and tomorrow is like practically t- like a day that already happened, so, you know, it's like 48 hours. Exactly.
2: <laughs> tomorrow already happened, uh- <laughs> it's fine.
1: <laughs> Kelly, I'm right there, like... I know we're all supposed to be a little conflicted about this thing or whatever, but, like, I watch this sport. I watch NFL football, like... Should I be conflicted about these games where these people put themselves at risk of, like, permanent brain injury all the time? And now some other people are getting sick, so I should be more worried. Like, I don't know. My fiancé's been going to work this whole time. Everyone's got to go to work at some point or another. Charlie's back at work. Like, should I be more concerned about Claude Giroux than Charlie? No. (laughs) I've never drank beers on the beach with Claude Giroux.
3: Yeah, Claude Giroux doesn't hang out with us. Yeah. He's not on our podcast.
1: So like, yeah, obviously there's a risk and the players are going to, I think, play it up more for a you know labor negotiating standpoint than, than really anything else because they're young athletes in the primes of their lives. Obviously they have families and things to care for, but like, I don't know. The idea of any,
0: I, I just, ugh, I'm not all that conflicted about it. I want to watch hockey. Well, one thing that a lot of, one Same. thing that a lot of the players have said so far, which some people on social media have been scoffing at, but I actually think is legitimate is the players have basically said like, we're probably going to be safer in the bubble than we would be if we were just home doing nothing. And I, I, and I absolutely believe that's true.
3: Yeah. It's hard not to believe that considering everything that's being done. Once
1: they're in there, they're going to be tested regularly and they're not going to have to go to grocery stores and shit. I have to do that. Like, they don't. There will be no commoners in the bubble.
2: <laughs> None of us peasants are allowed in the bubble.
1: I know. Charlie's no. the only one with a shot.
0: Like, and, I, and I will, and he's I will a not professional. be going.
2: Yeah. Oh! I
3: was, I was hoping that you would get to, Charles. Excuse me. I could go if I wanted to. <laughs> Can I pretend to be Steph Driver and go? Sure. Oh. Do you really want to pretend to be me? People f- mix us up all the time. Anyway, let's fucking
0: roll with yeah, it. Yeah, might as well take advantage of that fact. I
3: want to go to Toronto. So, let's so go. just
0: just to do some explaining though about the media in the bubble. So, I am not going. None of the uh, none of the athletic writers uh, from the U.S. are going to the bubble cities. The, uh, the we're going to have a bunch of our Canadian writers are going to go, but none of the U.S. writers are going to go. Partially because of uh, like the difficulties with regards to how long you have to quarantine to be allowed in. But the thing is, is that even if you go, even if you are in the bubble, you're not really in the bubble. You are separated from everything else. You're not actually in the player and personnel bubble. You're in what is almost like a secondary bubble where you still sort of have to follow all the same rules pretty much, but you're going to have no direct contact with any of the people actually in the real bubble. And the only additional access you get for going is that you are allowed to watch the games in the press box. But then after the games are done, you basically go to a media room that is closed off from any contact with anyone else. And then you do the press conferences on, you know, zoom or whatever, just the same way as everyone else who's staying home. So part of the reason why I don't think a lot of, um, outlets are going to be sending people is because there just isn't a lot of upside. Like you're not getting any better access really aside from getting to watch the games in the press box, which is neat. I'm not going to lie, but like, is that really going to make your article dramatically better? Maybe the first couple, because you can describe the sights and sounds. But beyond that, once everybody gets sort of used to the new normal, it's it's basically just going to be the same thing as if you were home watching it on TV. So that's sort of where the media is at with regards to the bubble. And that's one of the reasons why when I was told I was not going, it wasn't like a crushing blow or anything.
1: Alright, fam, well, uh, like I said, we have some actual news to get into, and I guess uh, one of the more fun things that have come up over the last few hours, last 24 hours or so, was Elaine Vigneault confirmed as a Jack Adams, Jack Adams finalist, Adams, I don't know what that was. That was
2: something. Yeah,
1: when I, you know, Jack Adams finalist, Coach of the Year award, Elaine Vigneault is a finalist, uh, well-deserved, um... He's, a, he's nominated with Bruce Cassidy and John Tortorella. Uh, I think this team is ulti- ultimately going to be judged by their postseason success because we've been waiting for it for so long. But there's no doubting uh, Elaine Vigneault had a hell of a hand in turning this ship around, right?
2: I think it's all him. <laughs> I, 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 I can't... Well, yeah. I think I mean... it was all him. I mean, there there is a lot of... Uh, energy given by various players like Kevin Hayes but just a breath of fresh air from Elaine Vigneault like I can't imagine anybody else you know I read I read the Oscar Lindblom article that was on Sports Illustrated today and I can't imagine like could you imagine Dave Haxtall crying with Oscar Lindblom after he got the diagnosis like that's not robots can't cry
3: I was gonna say I don't know that he's ever cried human tears
2: so, like, just the fact that he's an actual human has has just been so beneficial to this team, in my opinion.
3: He fucking rules. Like, I I was on board with the hire, if I'm remembering correctly. I was, like, cool with it when it happened. But, like, I didn't expect that I would like him. Kind of like Kevin Hayes. Like, I did not expect that I would like Elaine Vigneault, the human being, as much as I do. Like... He's fucking great. Like I, mm. I don't know. This whole culture change, top to bottom. Like Steph said, it really does. I think stem from him and Chuck a little bit too, but I think mostly Vino, just because he's such a personality in like the best kind of way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I to be clear, I th- well to be clear, I think Vino does has done a very good job, and I absolutely <laughs> think he deserves to be one of the, if not the winner of the, the Jack Adams. But I do think that fans. Like Dave Haxtall was Does Dave Hackstall was not a robot. He just appeared to be to the fans so he was. Dave Hackstall also was not that great mm-hmm. with his players, but like I do think that Dave Hackstall cared about Oscar Limbaugh. I'm not sure he would have been broken up if
2: No, I'm not saying that he didn't care, but like that wouldn't be written in a Sports Illustrated article that they sat in his hotel room. I mean, crying. fair.
0: I guess what I'm saying is I think fans watch coaches and they like, they basically assume that the coach is exactly the type of person that they they see on social media and on the bench and in interviews. And, like, it's not necessarily true. Like, I think, I don't think Elaine Vino's personality, like, that he's, like, I think it's part of it. It's part of the fact that he's just a really good coach. Like, he's a very good coach. There's a reason why he's gotten five of these, these nominations. But, like, the additions of Matt Niskan and Justin Braun and Kevin Hayes were, just as important in terms of beefing up the roster the fact that the, the the entire team isn't in a state of chaos like it was last year when everyone was getting fired and everybody was terrified they're gonna get traded that's been a big part of it. Like fans like Elaine Vino. they get a kick out of him, they like the jokes, they like the fact that he's personable, they like the fact that he seems to give a shit, which is important but I just don't think I think we might be overstating a bit. Elaine Vigneault's impact on the Flyers this year. Not saying that it wasn't there, not saying that it wasn't big, but, like, it, I think a lot of fans are falling under Vigneault's spell, and that's great because it's fun to be a fan and do that, but I don't think he's, like, been the the, the primary reason. He's one of many reasons, a like large reason, but one of many reasons why the team's better this year.
3: No, I do Charlie. When, you, as, uh, sorry. I was going to say Charlie glossed over something very important, which is that he's extremely handsome. <laughs> So, I feel that that needs to be... <laughs> like, obvi-
1: like, we'll get into, you know, Cassidy and Tortorella, but, like, these both these guys, uh, all three finalists have in common is they're getting good goaltending, which is always what makes coaches look good. At least Tortorella started to get it with uh, with Merzlingas and all that. But, uh, yeah, beefing up the roster, bringing in, you know, productive veterans. And, obviously, Vigneault has benefited from... Like Provorov coming into his own, Travis Konechny taking next step, like all these things are definitely benefiting him. But the the fact remains: Do I like? Do I think Dave Haxtell was exactly to his players as he was the media? No. But if you're so guarded that you can never let anyone in ever, that's part of your personality, and there's no way to get along with someone like that in the long term.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I was waiting for Charlie to say something because Charlie, you know, interacts No, I mean more than any of us. I
0: I I like Elaine Vigneault a lot. I like interacting with him. He's a really enjoyable coach to cover. I enjoy covering him much more than I enjoy covering Dave Haxtell. And I think, objectively speaking, Elaine Vigneault is a dramatic upgrade over Dave Haxtell as a coach in terms of the team being prepared to play. In terms of you know just from the start, from from training camp, from you know kind of him laying down the law and making practices more uh, fast paced and you know kind of getting the team in a better condition shape like he's done a lot without a doubt I just I do think that sometimes fans can like their personal view of a coach then colors everything they do and right now Elaine Vigneault is extremely popular for good reason but I just kind of wonder what happens in two or three years when the Flyers lose in the first round when they're expected to go further and then do all the charming things about Elaine Vigneault then become terrible things maybe that's what happened in New York
1: absolutely Absolutely. Oh yeah, and that's that's kind of something I wanted to get into here. Like Bill Barber was the last uh, Flyers coach to win the award back in 01. Well, he is out a season after being named best coach in hockey. You An know, absolute we've t- travesty. Yeah, but no, we've seen Baruby turn it turn a team we thought around, and then after a year, he's gone. Uh, You know, Hack made the playoffs in his first year and then slow... Well, not so slowly, really. It was as soon as he scratched Ghost and TK, he became a villain. And that's just kind of the way it goes in a lot of, you know, hardcore sports cities, but definitely in Philadelphia. We will turn on you quickly. Uh, That's... I wanted to look at this. Yeah, it was Meltzer today tweeted, uh, Elaine Vigneault is the sixth Flyers head coach to be named an Adams finalist. Uh, Shiro won in 74. Quinn won in 80. Keenan won in 85, Terry Terry Murray was a finalist but didn't win in 95, and then Bill Barber won in '01. one so AV joining some good company here, some uh, coaches who reached the Stanley Cup final. How do we think he's going to fare against this current competition, though Cassidy and okay, Tortorella? Okay, can I because ju- Tortorello was walking away with this thing. Can I early. jump
0: in for a second? How the fuck did Fred yeah. Shiro number one only become a finalist once, and number two never win a Jack Adams with the Flyers? Like he was by far the best coach in hockey during that era, and he only got one finalist nomination. Like, are you freaking kidding me? That's, he won. He won it in '74. Okay. But st- okay, so he did. W- okay, yeah. but still, like, come on. This was. He should have been a finalist every single season. He was like one of the first guys to acknowledge that the Russian way of playing was good and to take the best parts of the way they play and then combine it with the sheer violence of North America. Like He was a fantastic head coach. He should have been a nominee every year.
1: You know how it works, Charlie. They were good, so obviously it's no longer the coach, <laughs> even though the coach who made them good last year, well, no, now he's just benefiting from these plays. <laughs> that he coached. He you know how it goes. he coached.
2: Yeah,
3: once you make them good, that's the, that's
1: it. Yeah, you made them good. Unless you yeah. get rid of all those players and bring in 25 new ones, what the hell did you do this year? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, sorry. Not a- a apologies thing.
0: interrupt, but that, that blew me away that he only had one nomination. Oh, no. No, it's, that's wonderful. I love when Charlie's fired up.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. so Cassidy in Boston, I mean, he won the Atlantic, and winning the Atlantic and not being named the Lightning is a pretty decent accomplishment. Uh, Bergeron, Krejci, and Krug each missed nine games. Obviously, Rask is having a Vezina-caliber season, and Halak is looking pretty good too, so he is benefiting from the defense. What do you think of Cassidy's uh, chances of winning this thing?
3: I hate it. I mean, like, the Bruins are a good hockey team. Like, it's not that wild that they won the Atlantic. It's and not I, that. I don't, I, don't know the, like, I don't know what he did that was so markedly different from the things he's done before when the Bostons have been when the Bruins have been an extremely good hockey team. So I don't know. I I don't like it. And also, you know, fuck the Bruins. So there's that.
0: So I'm going to disagree with you, Kelly. Cool. Um first off, I, I, I don't think he's gonna win. I think it's it's either gonna be AV or, or Torts. Um, so I'll get that out of the way right now. However, I do believe that it's completely ridiculous that, for whatever reason, we've decided that the coach of the team that wins the President's Trophy like, isn't a good candidate for the Jack Adams because, well, we expected that team was going to be good. Like, The Jack Adams award should not be just for the coach who coached a team that we thought was going to suck and ended up being good. Like, there's something to be said about the fact that, like, if you coach a team to be the best team in the league, like maybe you did the best coaching job. Like the fact that John Cooper, and I know they lost in the first round, but voting happens before that. The fact that John Cooper didn't win the Jack Adams last year, despite the fact that like Tampa was the best team in like recent NHL history will always be insane to me. Like how could you have done a better job than the guy who coached a team to have like 128 standings points? Like, yeah, Tampa was supposed to be good. They weren't supposed to be that good. And I think Boston's the same way. Like, we should normalize the best team in the league thinking that, hey, whoever coached the best team in the league probably did a damn good job coaching.
3: I mean, I, I do buy that. Um, but I feel like with, with Cooper, like, Tampa not only was good, they were historically ridiculous which I think is like you know different than winning your division because you're a good hockey team like I, I don't know I like like you said he's not gonna win anyway so it
0: doesn't matter <laughs> very true
1: no that's I I do agree, like <laughs> like Cassidy I think he did a decent enough job and everything and I think winning that division winning the president's trophy albeit in a shortened season is a pretty big deal but I just don't see Like a huge difference between what they were supposed to be and what they are. Like, uh, maybe he is the third best option. I'd have to think about it a little harder. Uh, I I think, yeah, they uh, just finishing ahead of the Lightning in that division is a big deal. But, eh, it just. Tortore- I don't know. Tortorella, like, has a good story here. There's a lot of shit you can say about Tortorella. Yeah. AV, I just like him, and I think he's doing a good job. I'm probably too close to be uh, objective about it, but I think yeah. he's doing a pretty damn good job. I don't know what Cassidy's doing day-to-day to make them better than they've been for the previous five years.
2: The only thing I would say about you being too close to the situation with Vigneault is that if he's a finalist, so... It's not just our perception. Other people are seeing what's happening here, too. That's it.
0: No, I mean, the Flyers had I what I believe – I think I wrote this in an article back in March – the Flyers had the single largest year-over-year standings points jump of any team in the NHL. So, like, it's a vi- – there, there's a viable case for Lane Vigneault beyond he's our coach and we like him. Like, he's objectively done a really yeah. good job. And I think that, in all honesty – the idea of, well, I'm too close to the situation, in a sense, that's good. It's good you're, you're too close to the situation because, in theory, you have the most information, the most firsthand information about how the coach actually did. And in a way, the the better a coach did, the more that the local writers and the local fans should advocate for him to win. It's the same way with, like, MVP voting. Like, if you, if you watch that player and you think he was freaking awesome and deserves to be an MVP, then, like, every single writer in that market should vote him number one, and every single fan should be screaming on Twitter that he deserves to be number one. And are you biased? Yeah, you're biased, but, like, that's the, that's kind of what you should be. You know, you should be biased because it was your job, whether as a as a writer or as a fan, to watch the team every game and you should come away thinking he's the best. Like if if you come away from if you came away from Claude Giroux's 2017, 18 season as a Flyers fan and were like, Well, he had a good season, but you know, maybe he's not the MVP because there's a lot of other great candidates, then he probably didn't deserve to be MVP because you watched him and you weren't convinced. You should if you watched a great player dominate you every game, you should be convinced he's the MVP because obviously he was that damn good. Who else could be the MVP? And it's the same thing with Coach, in my opinion. So how about Tortorella? When we talked about this early in the
1: year, uh, it looked like he was kind of walking away with the thing. Uh, Columbus was competitive. They were doing well. They were within striking distance of the playoffs, if not in in playoff position for much of the year. Uh, They started to fall off a bit. But now, thanks to... uh, the magic of coronavirus, they, were in, they are in at least the play-in series. They have a chance to qualify for the playoffs. Uh, they're ahead of like Florida, the Rangers, Montreal, and the conference standings. They're sixth in the Metro by points percentage, but it's all about what they lost in the offseason. Uh, you know, they lose deadline additions Duchene and Dezingle, plus Sergei Bobrovsky and Artemi Panarin. Those guys are uh, pretty good Cam Atkinson and Seth okay. Jones, Cam Atkinson and Seth Jones missed a bunch of time. Wierenski and Borgstrand missed some time. Uh, like I said, the Elvis dude came in and kind of saved their season in net. Uh, I'm not going to try to say his last name again. The Elvis dude is what I'll call him. Mersley. I think Tortorella still is the best case.
3: No, I mean here's the thing. I think Elvis was better than Bob this season, so I don't want to hear about that bullshit. Yeah, but that's like, pure luck. Exactly, like, exactly. It's pure luck. It's nothing. The whole to do sport's with pure way luck. What does Charlie always tell us? If he was so good, they would have been better than sixth in the Metro. That's all I'll say. Where were the Flyers in the Metro, fam? I seem Second. to remember them being pretty high. You know why? Better coach. <laughs> Show me the lie. You can't. There is none.
2: <laughs> I see no lie. Like the I Flyers see no
0: lie. roster I just is... have a
2: really hard time wrapping my head around giving someone an award for best coach when the reason you're even being nominated is because your GM failed to do his job. Yes, that's the other thing. Like, your general manager couldn't keep talent, so now you're the best coach? That just, it feels weird. It because feels really your team weird. was moderately competitive. It feel it just feels it's,
3: weird. It's if this like was it. any other coach besides John Tortorella people fucking love especially the media love John Tortorella because but a lot
1: is, of people hate
3: him. No, I I mean not I don't think anymore. I think he's kind of turned the corner into like lovable scamp
1: John oh, Tortorella scamp. like
3: I mean, like, everybody. He he can very
2: quickly go back in the other direction.
3: Everybody knows that he, like, saves puppy dogs. He's like a really good quote. Like, people seem to like him that cover the team. Like, I know Allison Lucan really likes him, but like if it wasn't John Tortorella, if it was like Boone Bob Jackson that coached the Columbus Blue Jackets, like, would it be getting this much attention for being such a good amazing coaching job. I don't think so.
1: Kelly, I wanted to compliment you for last <laughs> week screaming Boone Jenner can get fucked. <laughs> and then someone someone reminded you of Boon Bob, yeah. <laughs> which reminded me to go and check Wikipedia to see if my edit was still there. Somebody edited it to be Boone Robert Jenner. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I changed it back today. And then when it said where it says, like, explain your edit, I put his name, his middle name is Bob, not Robert. His name is Boom Bob Jenner. Perfect. Oh, God, I love us sometimes.
0: Oh, That's, man. Listen,
1: did, obviously, uh, Columbus, yes, it's the failings of the organization that lead you to believe Tortorella should be, you know, uh, among the best coaches in the league this year, but... If you say, okay, the GM didn't do his job, and you look at the roster and go, yep, this isn't good enough, and then they are good enough, isn't? doesn't it have to be the coach then? Isn't that just process of elimination? Are, are they, they good, good enough, enough, though? though? Yeah. What, good enough
3: how? Like, in what way? Good enough. Not bottom of the fucking conference? Like, is that the bar for them because they lost yes! 20 players? Yes! Well, that's nonsense. Let's, I don't. I just don't buy that argument at all. I understand. When you lose
1: your five best players and then your two remaining best players miss big chunks of time, I'd say he did a pretty good job.
3: Yeah, good job getting your team to the middle of the pack, buddy. I'm real proud. So of I you. think they
0: That's his. I think job. there are two two <laughs> primary arguments against Torts. Um, the first, which I think Kelly was the one who hinted at this, and she's right, is that I think we as a hockey community kind of overrated a bit the extent of the losses that Columbus suffered because, like, Artemi Panarin, undeniably a huge loss. He was their best player. That's ginormous in terms of the impact it had on, on Columbus and on their, on their roster quality, so not disregarding that at all. Sergei Bobrovsky sucked last year, so it's not like losing him really from a year-over-year standpoint had any real impact because all the goalies had, that replaced him had to do was not suck During the regular season, and they were, it was at least just gonna be a wash. It was gonna be a, you know, you didn't gain anything, you didn't lose anything. And if they were good, then that was actually an improvement, which is how they ended up doing. And then you talk about, um, you talk about DeZingle and you talk about Duchesne. Like they were trade deadline acquisitions. The Blue Jackets had them for like five weeks. Like, most of their season was without them, so losing them really wasn't that big of a loss in the grand scheme of things because they didn't have them for most of the, pre- the previous year anyway. So that's number one, is that maybe we overrated a little bit, aside from Panera and the impact of all these huge losses. Number two, and this I think is is arguably a more compelling case against Tortorella, is that if we weren't doing this ridiculous 24-playoff team thing, the Blue Jackets probably don't make the playoffs. Like, if there is no coronavirus, the Blue Jackets were trending out of the playoff picture when all of this stopped. And generally speaking, and I'm not saying this is the right way, but I'm saying this is the way people generally look at it, is that you're not going to vote a guy Jack Adams if the team didn't make the playoffs. Well, Columbus probably wasn't going to make the playoffs. And they get in now because we have 24 teams and fucking Chicago's in the playoffs for reasons. Like... Is that why we're going to vote for Torts? Because he happened to luck out and be in a COVID world where 24 teams made the playoffs? Like, that to me is the more compelling argument because Vino's Flyers were making the playoffs regardless of whether the season finished normally or finished weird.
3: They might have won the goddamn division. Maybe. I can't I can't oh, yeah. remember if they still could have at the Given time. Given
1: how things were trending, if, if, if Columbus plays those final, I think they played 70, if they play those final 12 games... Chances are they don't make the playoffs.
3: And also, if you want to talk narrative, the Flyers were such an unbelievable mess. And I know that, like Charlie said, Elaine Vigneault is not the only or perhaps primary reason why this team was better this season. But you can spin a yarn about that being the case, and I believe that that's good enough it's a good enough story in the same way that, that John Tortorella's story is good enough. Like, it's not... It's about as real as that one is. So, if we're going to compare storylines, I think Vino's is better anyway.
1: And, like, just give it to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, stop asking questions. We're the goddamn questions. flyers. All right? We're the stop flyers. Thinking about it. Give it to me. It's,
3: it's yeah. us. It's ours. It's been since 2001. That's enough time. Yeah, It's it's our been, turn it's been now. long enough.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, we speaking...
2: have so little to be Truly. excited about. I know.
1: It's... We never win any of this. Drew, that year, he should have been MVP. wasn't even a finalist.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that insane. All right. We
1: have so little.
2: <laughs> Just give us this right now. Right. Like, I need content.
1: I want to be able to call him the best coach in hockey. The end. I'm already doing it. All right. Uh, speaking of it's been long enough, it's been about a half hour, so we're gonna take a little ad break here. You guys didn't even have to tell me this time. Look at this. And on the other side, I'm gonna ask what the hell this, uh, this, this catchphrase is for the playoffs or whatever the Flyers are doing. So stick around for that. Alright, everybody, welcome back. Thanks for listening to that commercial. I'm sure it was enthralling. So I just have a question for the panel. What the fuck is Anytime, Anywhere?
2: Uh, all I can think of is when Nolan Patrick and Travis Konechny were in the penalty box together, and Travis Konechny is screaming over Nolan Patrick, "I'll fuck you up anytime, anytime." <laughs> that's all I can think when I see this tagline.
3: If they couple it with that video, perhaps I will come to enjoy it.
2: But like, that's so all—that's just- all I can think.
3: I mean, it's it's equally as dumb as like stay ready and fly or die and whatever the fuck else they used this season that was stupid. So, you know, keep up, keep it up with the dumb hashtags, I guess. Why
1: can't we just use be a fucking flyer? Because that has a dirty word in it, and so we're a family So put asterisks in there. Yeah,
3: I don't know. I mean, I that would have been that. good.
1: If this was the spectrum, we'd be getting this tattooed on herself with jailhouse tattoo guns.
3: I mean, if it was ten years ago, it would be on a shirt. They had that stupid Megadeth shirt, for Christ's sake. Like, they would not have run away from that
1: at all. Ugh, oh, good times. That was good
3: times. I mean,
2: we could make it the Broad Street Hockey tagline.
3: Oh. I like how Steph Driver thinks.
2: We can do that.
1: I just, it just seems so generic, and it all it reminds me of, and we're not going to spend, like, ten minutes on this, but <laughs> I, it just reminds me of the baseball players saying, tell us when, tell us where. And then they were like, well, actually, not that. <laughs> I think we didn't say we were gonna say yes. We just said tell us when and where, yeah. and then we'll give you Never an answer. <laughs> and our answer is no.
0: <laughs> I, I think it's fine. I mean, I don't know. I, I I care very little about these things. But like, as long as it's not bad on the on the level of clutch time, I'm cool with it.
3: Hashtag clutch time. Hashtag Buckle clutch up. time
0: was so bad because it was Buckle like the up, least baby. clutch time Well, it, it, it was so not clutch. It's also like that might not have seemed as bad if they wouldn't have come out with clutch time and then immediately after traded for Andrew McDonald. And then it was Andrew McDonald is ready for clutch time. <laughs> <laughs> Just the
1: oh, ultimate God. image. The ultimate like burned into your head image. Like Back with a Vengeance was so good. Because they were Back with a Vengeance. They missed the playoffs, yeah. and then they had, like, nine suspensions in the first <laughs> month of the season, and they made it to the Eastern Conference Final. That was a great tagline. It worked. All right, so let's get to a little real news. Um, Mark Friedman. I'll call him Friedman. But Friedman. Mark Friedman signed an extension, a uh, two-year extension with the club. I think it was 750 k Probably should have wrote that down. But... Uh, you know, nice nice little depth move there, shoring up a position of need since, you know, Wyatt Kalanick told us to go F ourselves. Obviously, we Fuck need that the depth. Um, uh, seems like a nice move. It's his third season pro. He got into six games this year. They won two of his first three, and we're going to get into that in a second. I think they went four and two with him in the lineup, so maybe we need to work him in a little bit more. Uh, what do we think of this Friedman extension, though? It seems good.
3: I'm into it. He looked pretty good, and we're probably gonna lose Justin Braun because we can't have nice things because they didn't give us any more money um so yeah if he's if he's gonna be the seven that's that's fine he could probably play in for Robert Hague when he sucks again which he will so that's good
0: I mean they were gonna they were gonna sign him back like it was I, I do think it's going to be interesting this summer, or I guess fall, is when the off season very well might actually happen. I got to get out of the habit of saying summer in that case. Um, but I, I think there's yeah. going to be a lot of players who normally teams just automatically throw a qualifying offer to because why not? That our teams are instead going to be like, you know, I don't know if I really want to pay that decent fourth liner. million dollars so you're just going to be a free agent and i think it's going to happen a lot more than people realize so like the market is going to be flooded with guys like that however somebody like Freeman was a no-brainer because he wasn't going to cost much they drafted and developed him and like what's the worst that happens the worst that happens is he doesn't make the team out of camp next year and they send him through waivers because he's no longer waiver exempt and they lose him. But like, he's a 24 year old and I like Mark Friedman. He's a 24 year old defenseman who hasn't played 10 games in the NHL yet. Like every team has a Mark Friedman. I don't think he's getting claimed and you're just hoping that maybe he can be, a, no, you're he, you're maybe he can be a decent third pair defensive for you. I hope he can. I, I like Mark Friedman, but we'll see. Here's the thing. This is what I was alluding to earlier
1: in his first three games this year. The Flyers beat Washington 3-2. They only gave up one in a loss to Tampa and then beat Boston 6-5. Well, there's our, uh, he needs to be the sixth in the round robin. I don't see any way
3: I'm around. Common denominator. Can't argue with the facts. It's This is just the way it is. That would be fun. I would Steph like him over just, Hague, so.
1: Steph is just done with me, it seems.
2: No, I i was checking to see if I still have a job, actually. We uh, just got an update from the union.
1: Do you? Who knows? Ah, all right. Oh, boy.
2: Unclear. No answers yet.
1: I like calling him Freedzy. I think I'm going to call him Freedzy.
3: That's an extremely hockey nickname, so you yeah. might as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's looked, he's looked fine in the, you know, like, like, he's played, what, seven games in the NHL. He's looked fine in them. Yeah, he fine. hasn't looked out of place at all. I think he could, yeah, be a good 3rd pair guy if, if it ever comes to that.
3: Speaking of seventh defenseman, I'm hijacking the show. Go right uh, ahead. Ghost? Like, first of all, I like I I don't know if anybody else knew that he was going to have another knee surgery. That was kind of a surprise to me. And also, I'm wondering, like, if he'll be good again or if we're even going to have enough time to find out if he can be good again in this version of the playoffs. I don't
1: know.
2: I'm really not concerned about the surgery. What it sounds like is that it was just like an arthroscopic clean out. From- yeah like scar tissue and cartilage and that's yeah totally it sounds like like a regular scoping or anything yeah like knees are trash and they need to get cleaned out every now and then like i'm not worried about that that should have had a recovery time of like a week Mm.
1: yeah and it, it was seven weeks ago when he said he had the surgery i guess what monday of this week is when he uh had the media availability um he said he was overcompensating for his injured left knee and was having some power and push-off issues. How many times did we say this year, just watching him, he just did not look dynamic. He did not look explosive. He did not look like the guy who... He did not look like Ghost. And maybe this explains it. Will he able? Will he even have the time to show that he's back to some semblance of what he was? I don't know. Robert Haig was playing better than him when the season ended. Well, Maybe he, had that,
3: this, he had that one game back before the pause, where I thought, if I'm remembering correctly, he looked pretty. He, okay. played, he
0: played well in that final game against Boston, and then, then yeah. everything got paused, and the world got on fire. So,
3: yeah, good timing there. Real
0: good timing there, Ghost. Would
1: you say so? If if we're gonna if we're gonna make a lineup right now, if we're filling it out, and it's gonna be your typical uh, you know uh, twelve and twelve and six lineup, is Ghoster Haig the number six? I think it's...
3: It. I don't think you can you can fuck around with making Ghost the 6th to start. Like, it's gotta be Hague just because you, you yeah, know. Yeah, I, mean, I
0: think it's gonna be Hague. That said, I'm yeah. sure they're gonna give Ghost some shots. Like, one thing Vino has made clear um, at this first week of, of camp is that, like, they have the one exhibition game, so that's gonna be a game where they try out a bunch of players and whatnot. But they're, they're planning to use the round-robin games... Not necessarily as games where it's like, we're going to go all out balls of the wall and try to win every single one of these games. Like, obviously, they're going to try to win them, but they're not going to use the same lineups or even rosters every single game. Vino is going to use those as kind of testing grounds to be ready for the playoffs. Now Obviously, they're still going to try to win, but... I, love I would expect Ghost to get in at least one of those three games, potentially two. And hey, if he looks like the Ghost of old, maybe he bumps Haig out. But I think he has to, like, if Haig is just Haig and Ghost just looks decent, I think Hague keeps the spot. I think Ghost has to dramatically outplay. Ghost, has, yeah, to Ghost it. has to beat him out for that spot. He has to take it. And can Ghost do it? Okay. I don't know. I mean, I hope so, because Ghost is a higher upside player than Robert Haig, but... From what we've seen of Shane Gossesbear this year, I'm not sure he can. We'll see.
1: So, you just mentioned the schedule. So, let's take a look at that right now before we get back to the roster. Uh, They announced uh, July 28th we have that exhibition game against the Penguins. That's a 4 p.m. start. How great is it they're giving us the Penguins right away? Like, I freaking love it! It's so amazing!
2: And I love afternoon hockey. Yes. During a during a weekday on the on the weekends I don't like it, but weekdays I love it. I'm pumped. I'm so excited.
1: Then they have uh, Sunday, August second against the Bruins. That's a three p.m. start. Then of course they have the Caps on the sixth and Tampa on the 9th. Both those times are TBD. Uh, it's it is a good time because uh, it's four games and only three of them count. It is a good time to figure out what's working. It's not like they have a full camp. It's not like they're going to be able to have full practices or anything. It, it, everything's abnormal. At least they're not in the play-in round. Like, this yeah. this thing is very beneficial for them that they're the four seed. If they go 0-3, nothing changes.
3: Yeah, that's the thing I love the most about this, and that's why I love so much that Vino is essentially treating all of them like practice games. Because if they lose all of them, it absolutely doesn't matter. So, cool. Might as well fuck around and see what works best, because we're going to need it when things are actually counting.
2: Didn't I say that? Didn't I say they were going to treat them like they were preseason games? You probably did. I You're feel like You're very smart did. and good. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. Well, some of the names we could be seeing, at least maybe in that exhibition game, uh, when the roster came out, there are a couple interesting names. Some of them we might be seeing... Frost, the Germ, Torensky, Zamula, Friedman, Ustimenko—all among the initial Phase Three training camp invitees. Obviously, when the rosters get trimmed, some of those guys will not be around. But some of the names are intriguing, and maybe the coaches just have a hunch about potential black aces. Uh, Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News made a list of the top 10 prospects to get invites to camps, and our boy Zamula made the list.
2: Is, I'm there, really is there to any chance
1: him. we see him? I ca-
2: there could be. I'm really excited to see him. I think that this is a fun new addition. It is, and, like,
3: I don't think it's completely out of the realm that he comes in and just, like, fucking crushes all of the practice time and looks so good that perhaps he is the one bumping out Robert Haig and not Shane Gossesberry. It would be absolutely wild, but it would be super fun, so I would be on board for it.
0: Yeah, I... I- I know, I don't see it happening. I I think he could make the (laughs) roster because so one thing you have to remember is that right now the Flyers have 34 players at camp. They have 30 skaters. They have four goalies. I believe they have to get down to 31 players, period, to be on the actual active roster. Now, I think everyone, like all 34 players, can theoretically go to the Hub City if they want to. Um, but then again, the Flyers like, will have a limit of the amount of people that can actually go from their organization, so they might not send everybody. Um, I, I guess he's a mole making it. I don't think he's going to play, but I guess you never know. Um, one thing I do want to mm-hmm. rant about, and I really hope the Flyers don't fall into this trap yet again, Like,
3: Uh-oh.
0: I guarantee you that Carson Terenski is going to look good at this camp. You know why? Because he always fucking looks good at camp. Let's not get fooled by this. He's not actually good enough to be a contributor in the NHL playoffs. I don't care how good he looks in camp. Fine, put him on the roster as a black ace. But, like, let's not get into this whole thing where we get fooled by two good weeks of Carson Terinsky and then put him in NHL games. Like, let, let's, let's not do this again, please.
1: I just think, like... He made it because of the limited amount of time that the coaching staff had, and he was just a guy that they liked. And when they found out more about other players, he got bumped out. Uh, When you look at what they have in terms of who's going to be active, TK, Coots, Jake, G, Hayes, JVR, Lawton, Faraby, Pitlick, Raffle, and NAK, that's 11 of the 12 active forward spots right there. So you have Frost, Grant, Thompson, and Bunneman. All them have a leg up on Terensky, you'd think, right? You would think so, because the fourth line
3: looked real I mean, good yes. At yes. the end of the they, real season, so I don't know why you'd fuck with that. They it. should.
0: That said, I do think you're overrating a bit uh, the fact that I don't think Joel Faraby is a lock to be one of the 12 forwards in Game 1.
2: I find that personally offensive. I mean, he's going to be on
0: the team. But don't forget that when they were using Nate Thompson as the fourth line center, and they were using Scott Lawton as a second line left wing, Joel Faraby got sent back down to the minors because he wasn't playing. So, and that was that mm-hmm. was in February. That was like a couple weeks before this whole thing got paused. Like I, I want Joel Faraby in the lineup. I think he should be in the lineup. I think he's one of the twelve best forwards. But. If the Flyers decide that they are better served with Scott Lawton on the wing rather than Scott Lawton at center, they kind of put themselves in the position where they sort of have to use Nate Thompson as the fourth-line center, and then someone's got to leave the lineup. And if Scott Lawton's on line two, and then line three has JBR on it, and you know maybe you've got NAK or Pitlick as the third-line wing— I don't know where Faraby plays, so I want him in the lineup, but I don't think it's—I don't think it's a cinch that he's in the game one lineup if Scott Lauden plays wing.
1: Uh, and uh, it's not even necessarily like game one of the first series they're in. I just think overall, uh, watching Joel Faraby, I just think he kind of hit the rookie wall, got worn down a little, and now he's had all this time off, and now he's got young, fresh legs. He should be good to go and playing some of his best hockey as long as he's not terribly out of shape.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with you there. I I want him in the lineup. I just – I could see – to me, it's going to end up in my mind a a battle between Thompson and Farabee for that last spot, and it's all going to depend on how they want to shake out the roster because I don't see – I don't see Grant being out of the lineup. They just need centers. They need centers because – and I'll use this as a transition – because Nolan Patrick isn't on the roster. So they need centers.
1: Yeah, so I guess that was the biggest revelation of the roster being unveiled, was that Nolan Patrick, uh, to quote Fletcher, is uh, the focus is on getting him ready for the 2020-21 season. We want to be prudent and prioritize his health and safety in the long run. We have a short runway here before we jump right into playoff hockey. Basically it's it's impossible to get him ready to play in the playoffs after not having played hockey in over 12 months.
3: Yeah, I don't know why anybody was surprised by this.
1: I wasn't surprised. I, was, I guess I was just being unrealistic in thinking that, oh, he's going to come in and surprise us all. and to, For him to be excluded from the roster entirely, I guess, was a surprise. If he hmm. goes to camp and it's just like, yeah, we can't get him ready in time, then so be it. But... I was surprised he was excluded entirely,
2: yeah, that's where my surprise was too, just because, like get him involved in the team activities. have him around the team. like they were they were talking about potentially bringing Oscar Lindblom to the bubble, not on the roster, but just to hang around with the team. Like why? not nolan patrick so i'm actually wondering if he opted out and they're just not saying that he opted out. so
0: he definitely didn't opt out in that sense because i believe he would have to that that's something that like couldn't be just swept under the rug he'd have to say i'm opting out so he didn't opt out in that sense that said this was definitely a decision that all parties came to like fletcher patrick Patrick's family, Patrick's representatives, the team doctors. This was a group decision that they they decided it was best that he doesn't come back. And based on what I had heard in like May and June, that wasn't a foregone conclusion back then. Like there was still there was mm. still thought that Nolan Patrick might be able to play in the playoffs. So, like this this doesn't strike me as something where like the team mandated to Nolan Patrick that we don't think you should come back this was very much like a let's talk about it as a group and decide what we think the best course of action is and as a group they came to the conclusion that they think it's better if he focuses on trying to get back for to to 2021 but like if nolan patrick was i think chomping at the bit to be back for this playoff run and felt like he was 100 percent ready to go i think the flyers would have supported that but i feel like the fact that he's not there i think nolan patrick and nolan patrick's contingent around nolan patrick feels like his best course of action is not to be here
1: yeah it's uh, listen it's gonna it's gonna be an ongoing thing with him um i'm remaining optimistic that he just shows up to camp looks like he's supposed to look and boom 3c it is problem solved but As we're seeing, without him in the lineup, and he hasn't been there all year, so it's not like this is a new adjustment, but without him holding down that 3C spot, without a designated third center, it is kind of, uh, it's just a little more up in the air about what they're going to be able to do. Do we move Scott Lawton over? Does he play center? All these things. So we'll just have to see how it plays out, but much like... Brains
2: are such bullshit. What? Huh? Brains are such bullshit.
1: Oh, Brains.
2: Brains. True. Bullshit. But back to like the beginning of the show talking about everything that John Tortorella has had to deal with. Elaine Vigneault has had to deal with Nolan Patrick just not playing the entire season and Oscar Lindblom getting cancer and still has had the success. So I don't want to one-up injuries and illnesses but I'm just saying Vigneault has had to deal with more serious ones. Yeah. No, and
0: I mean the the the, the Limblom news in particular, because the Patrick thing was weird because he just was never there. Like he was there, he was with the team, but he was never playing. Like they they lost Oscar Limblom, who was in the midst of a, what was clearly a breakout season. They lost him midway through, and they were a better team in the second half without him. And I'm certainly not saying that's because they lost Oscar Limbaugh. I'm saying that imagine how good they would have been if they had Oscar Limbaugh in addition to the dramatic improvement they made in the second half.
1: Breaking! Charlie O'Connor advocates for the release of Oscar <laughs> Limbaugh. <laughs> Fucking athletic, man. It just rots your brain. <laughs> Subscribe, though. It's, it's decent.
0: But seriously, like, imagine how good this team would have been if Limbaum wouldn't have gotten sick, and Limbaum still would have been in the top six all year, and would have finished with 25 to 30 goals. Like, this.
2: I think about it all
0: this the team time. Was, all this team was already time. one of the best teams in hockey over the second half. Imagine how good they would have been if you spot them another top six winger. Ugh! Oh, God damn it!
2: I think about it all the time.
0: All right, what else do we
1: have here? Uh, we talked about the defense a bit. Um, Braun and Myers are good to go, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, well, Myers is healthy. Myers has been healthy for months, um, so that's no big deal. And Braun, I, I can't imagine he wouldn't be on the, you know, in the Game 1 lineup, whenever that is. I think it's August 11th. Vino and his players have mentioned that a, quite a few times so far this week. Um, but, I mean, Braun plays a role. You know, he's good on the penalty kill. He's um he's a strong defensive defenseman like he's a no-brainer he's just a good role guy to have in the in the playoffs and he's been in the playoffs quite a few times so i'm sure the young guys are going to pick his brain about what it's like um so yeah both those guys are there and then the real the real question in my mind is robert hager ghost that that's the defense question which we already sort of talked about but yeah
1: it's this hager ghost thing I hate it because it's an internet thing. Like, I just like Shane Gostisbehere, but I'm willing to say like he's been playing poorly. But goddamn, do I just want him to come in and be awesome? Like, just be awesome and put this thing to rest forever.
3: Me too. And like, also, that would like, be the best thing for the team.
1: The dynamic of Ghost Brawn is better than the dynamic of of Brawn Haig. It just is.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that because I'm. I worked on an article today about this this idea of the lineup. It should be out tonight or tomorrow. Um, but uh, interestingly enough, the uh, the Ghost Brawn pairing in their limited time together was not good, and no, it, it was not. not. And I'm not saying that it can't be good, but it just wasn't. And. Like to me, if if you're gonna get ghosts in the lineup, the the pairing that actually worked quite well involving Shane Gossesbear was Ghost Myers. That pairing actually, that pairing clicked. That pairing worked quite well. But understandably, and I totally get it, the Flyers really like that Sanheim Myers pairing, which they they should. I mean, it's it looked like a great second pair the second half of the year, and plus you're given both of these guys, Sanheim and Myers, experience in a legitimately important role in the postseason. And I think that that's something that probably would pay dividends down the road even if the Flyers don't go on a long playoff run this year. So I get why they want to do that and why that's probably going to be the second pair. But if you do that, then you're left with Braun and someone. And the hard truth is that Hague braun was better than Ghost-Braun. So yeah, if you're going to put Ghost in the lineup over Haig, you have to be really confident that Ghost the ghost that you're getting in the playoffs is a markedly better Shane Goss' bear than the one you got during the 2019-20 season. And I hope Ghost can make that, you know, make that abundantly clear that he is a better player than he was six, seven months ago. But it's just, he's going to have to, he's going to be hard pressed to do it. He's going to really have to make a strong case for himself.
1: When we get into the conversation of pairings and who's with who, like I do look at it like in the playoffs, that's not always how the lines go. Like it's not you're not rolling three D pairs. You're not putting the same guys. I think Provorov, Niskanen, and Sanheim are going to make up your top three, and Provorov and Niskanen obviously are going to play a ton together. But then after those three, I just see a four and five with Braun and Myers. That's situational and matchup dependent yeah, more than anything. Maybe. And then the sixth is whoever wins that battle. And they're only going to get so much ice time, regardless of which guy it is, unless Ghost all of a sudden looks like Ghost from two, three years ago. Yeah, that's so. I don't, I don't think it's as like cut and dry as a regular season yeah. lineup, just because these guys are rested, and you have a prover of who, let's face it, is going to be playing thirty minutes a game in these playoffs. Like, not in the, not in the round robin. Probably we're going to try some things out. But once the playoffs really get going and they make the run we think they're going to make, he's going to be playing 30 minutes a game.
0: He looks ready. No, that is a fair point that you make about the idea of it being like a 4 and a 5, because I could plausibly see a coach like Vigneault, who, well, I think he's a forward-thinking guy. I mean, coaches, head coaches, NHL hockey men do fall back on trusted players, especially when the situations get... You know, more high leverage and one that. And I could definitely see him leaning on a guy like Justin Braun in the postseason, especially if Myers maybe gets off to a slow start in the first couple games. I'm not saying he'd bench Myers, but I could see some because the, the Sandheim Braun pairing also worked very well this year. I could easily see Braun jumping up to that second pair maybe not the whole game but for for shifts here and there you know maybe when they play in the defensive zone you know when the way they take a defensive zone draw he goes sanheim braun instead of sanheim myers i could see that and i have i didn't really think about that but yeah i could see that i mean braun's the veteran guy he's more he's a little bit lower risk and he's been there before you know he plays more of a playoff style game if you want to use that cliche so i i could see vina go on that route yeah
1: but I will, like, I did say for most of this season, I like Braun a lot, and I don't want him playing more than 17 minutes. Like, he's really good on the PK, he's really good situationally, but, yeah, offense goes to die when he's on the ice, <laughs> so maybe you limit his ice time a little bit and put him out in situations where... And that's why I just think it's going to be more of a role-based, like, ad- uh, designation of ice time than anything else. All right, do we? Uh, what else do we have to get to, just... I guess we could talk about the uh, the Calder Trophy a little. Yeah, why not? So we have the finalists there. Uh, we have Quinn Hughes. He had fifty-three points in sixty-eight games at twenty years old. We have Kale McCarr, fifty points in fifty-seven games. Man, I thought he was going to walk away with it till he started till he missed some time. He's twenty-one, and of course the Chicago Blackhawks have a forty-two-year-old representative, <laughs> Dominic Kubalik, who had thirty goals and forty-six points. How do they keep
2: doing
0: this? Is doing just this? their thing
2: it's astounding
3: yeah seriously it's just they're just trolling at this point but like I think
1: he's actually like 24, 25 but no fuck that he's
0: 42
3: it doesn't matter because like there's no way anyone is winning this but Kale the Kale maker I mean
0: I do think he's gonna win it but I didn't vote for him number one I voted Hughes ooh
3: Jack Hughes right really
0: (laughs) yeah I voted I voted Quinn Hughes as my top choice
1: I voted Artemi Panera of course he
0: did Mm. I mean you gotta do that every year just to make a point
3: You've got to. Yeah. Good choice.
0: Um I don't have a vote. No, w- one point I do want to <laughs> make about this because this was and I was off and on Twitter all day because I was busy with the, you know, with with the training camp and whatnot. But the big Twitter debate today was lots of people, both Rangers fans and stat people, very angry that Adam Fox was not a nominee, the the Rangers defenseman. Uh,
3: I did see some uh a
0: lot of anger there. And like I get it. Like, I, Adam Fox was one of my top three. I had him over Cuba League. So, like, I, I understand it. His And his, his underlying numbers are fantastic. Where they lose me to a degree is the argument that Adam Fox actually should have won the Calder because his underlying numbers were so good. And, like, they objectively are. His underlying numbers were great. His shot and chance impacts were fantastic. But on some level, and this is where, like, like, I think it's less of a thing for me when we're talking about like MVPs and Selkies and whatnot, because you know when you're looking at guys like, for example, for the Selkie, when you're looking at guys like Sean Guterrier, you're looking at guys like Ryan O'Reilly, guys like Patrice Bergeron, they've been great for so many years that like when they put up great underlying numbers, you can feel pretty confident that they earned them. That Yeah, they're actually that good. That wasn't a fluke. Whereas when you're talking about rookies, there's a little bit, and by a little bit, I mean a significantly, significant amount more, of variance involved. Like, a rookie can just have a really good rookie year where the underlying numbers look great, and that's not actually a great measurement of his true talent level, because we just don't have the sample size to know if it wasn't just a fluke or not. And because of that, when I'm voting on the Calder, when I'm evaluating rookies, I do take into account the eye test a bit more than I do for other awards and I watched all three of those guys play and like Adam Fox looks good he looks like a good young defenseman I never saw him control a game anywhere near the degree that I saw Kel McCarr and Quinn Hughes do it and it's like look like I understand that you know that Fox's underlying numbers are great, and his RAPM was fantastic, and you know he he was up there with with McCarr and goals above replacement. But like, watch them play for five or six games each, and try to tell me that Adam Fox, you really think Adam Fox is going to be a better defenseman than those two guys? Like, I honestly think it's hard to make that case.
1: So, what was your determining uh, your determining factor between Hughes and McCarr? You voted for Hughes at one.
0: Um basically that they were really close but um but i thought that hughes was a better two-way player and hughes was used as their first pair defenseman whereas mccarr was used a little bit further down the lineup and more of a power play specialist
3: Hmm. i mean it's good reasoning i just think kale i always call him ridiculous (laughs) kale mccarr is like more exciting of a player to me, but I guess that's not the award. He I mean
0: he's he is really exciting, but like Hughes is really exciting too. I mean Hughes is one of the best that's Hughes fair. is one of the best skaters. Quinn Hughes is one of the best skaters I've ever yes. seen from the back end. I think McCarr might be a little bit more explosive, but Hughes can Hughes can lead the rush. Like Hughes is a is a dynamic player and very much in his own right.
3: And you can't undersell how delicious it is that he's better than jack
1: right now <laughs> Right now. it is it is great it's it so is, good. i do i do really appreciate that part i just watched way more colorado and i'm just a kale mccarr fan i just yeah. liked him more but yeah i all of them deserving i'm glad adam fox didn't get in because uh fuck the rangers he <laughs> don't get anything how about that
3: i did in his
1: third team since he's been drafted he finally Man, played that. in the league oh good job but good job fox <laughs> Way to See, go.
2: I respect that point of view so much. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't Steph, have I wanted to ask the other you, day.
1: Oh, sorry. Now, Steph, I wanted to ask you. Brian Boyle? You hated <laughs> Brian Boyle? <laughs> oh, dude.
2: I said I had no reason. Yeah, I just oh, That was a wild him. one. I
1: hated him. No, the, the so fact much. that you were like, and then he got cancer, and he beat it, so he's good. <laughs> I thought that was especially funny. Like, yeah, I really didn't like him until he got terminally ill.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I meant to say. I know it's not.
1: It's just what I thought you were about to say, and I was, like, laughing preemptively.
2: Oh, my God. No, um, I liked him on the Leafs, but it was, like, right... It was while I was in the middle of still kind of hating him and really struggling with maybe he's not that bad. Of a human, not hockey player. Yeah. Like, I just hated him so much. Yeah, Brian Boyle.
1: All right. Uh, is that it? Do we have anything else? I,
3: I would just like to say that I was on an abs podcast, and they suggested that the most fun outcome for all of this would be an abs flyer's final, and I can't agree more.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> no, so see, fun. that's not the most fun outcome, because this year I can't go to Denver. So, <laughs> no. No, I don't want that. Give that to me in a year or two.
3: Okay, fair.
2: I still don't like Nathan McKinnon.
1: Oh, yeah, that was another one. that was another another one I can't
3: wrap my brain around.
1: (laughs) And, like, Kelly, it's especially offensive to me because the guy's been on Trailer Park Boys.
3: He has. Sweet Nova Scotia boy. Everyone up there loves him, so
1: he must be good. Must be good. Yeah. All right. And that is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts. You know what to do. It's a whole thing. It's super easy. Just search Broad Street Hockey, like I just said. Hit subscribe. Boom. You get this shit delivered to you. Real easy. Don't even have to go looking for it. All right, that's it. For Charlie and Kelly and Steph, my name is Bill Matz. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports?
0: Yeah!